This morning I'll be reading from 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verses 12b through 23. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants' female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, well, thank you for the kind invitation uh, for me to return back and to preach for all of you uh, one more time. Uh, we're taking a, a quick break from the sermon series that Travis started uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, so that he can connect with his family this weekend. Uh, but he'll start things back up next week uh, when he returns. Uh, but uh, before we hear from what God has for us this morning, why don't we uh, bow our heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us here this morning, uh, gathering us so that we could hear from you uh, these words that you have spoken to us. We pray for your spirit to give us understanding, and that they would be words of life to us. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're uh, joining with uh, the rest of the, the Christian church all throughout the world, celebrating the, the season of, of Easter, and we're a, bit, a little bit halfway through it right now, where uh, we're celebrating and delighting in the, the power of the resurrection, uh, the hope of life after death, uh, the reality that even right now, Jesus is making all things new. But at the same time, there, there's still so much brokenness that's within us and all around us. Uh, last week, Travis gave us powerful, sobering words when he addressed the, the racially motivated shooting in Buffalo. And sadly, we learned that later that day, uh, a different shooting took place at Irvine Taiwanese 
Presbyterian Church in Southern California. Uh, it, came, it came to be that what fueled this horrible and terrible attack was politically charged hatred against the Taiwanese community. And the pain and the grief of these events, they, they continue to linger on even now. And particularly for our black and Asian neighbors, these evil attacks are deeply personal because their specific communities were targeted in these attacks. And for those of us who consider ourselves Christian, these should also be deeply personal to us as well because the image of God was not honored in these communities, but instead it was completely disregarded. And so here we are in the Easter season, holding on to the hope of the resurrection, while at the same time what we see around us is evil running amok. And so it's in these moments where we might ask ourselves, God, where are you? In our passage today, we're going to see how God was present with his people. But not everybody saw his presence being meaningful. And so we're going to consider a few things this morning. Uh, first, uh, the joy of presence. Secondly, the pain of absence. And then lastly, connecting to God's presence. So first, the joy of presence. At the beginning of the, the book of 2 Samuel, uh, we see that David has succeeded Saul as the new king of Israel. And so he establishes Jerusalem as the new capital city. And one of the very first priorities of David is to bring the ark of God into the city of Jerusalem. Now, the ark of God or the ark of the covenant, it was this uh, chest that was overlaid with gold uh, containing the Ten Commandments built during the time of Moses. And it was this visible reminder of God's presence with the people of Israel. Now, at this time in Israel's history, uh, they had this contentious relationship with their neighbors, uh, particularly the, the Philistines. And at one point, the Philistines, they defeated the Israelites in battle, and they took from them the Ark of God. But wherever the Ark of God went amongst the Philistines, it afflicted all kinds of physical ailments on them, so much so that they returned the Ark of God back to the Israelites. And now that David is king, he now wants to bring the Ark into Jerusalem and make that its permanent home. And this is where our passage begins here in verse 12. It says, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And so as David brings the ark into Jerusalem, this scene is full of celebration. It looks like there's this glorious new chapter of Israel 
starting to appear right before everyone's eyes. David is the new king. Jerusalem is the new capital city. The ark of God is one and among them. And notice how David celebrates. In verse 14, it says, And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. So here, David isn't so much celebrating the fact that he's the new king, but he's celebrating because the presence of God has now come to be one and among the people. And notice what he's wearing. Uh, He's wearing a linen ephod, which was this long, rectangular, apron-like garment that priests wore at this time. And kings don't wear ephods. Uh, The priests do, right? So David puts this on, and we notice in this passage how he's doing these priest-like things. He's sacrificing animals. He's blessing the people. He's doing all of this work connecting people to God. And what we also notice is that this whole celebration wasn't this spontaneous, spur-of-the-moment decision. We see in verse 17 that they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. So before this celebration had even started, David prepared for the ark's arrival. He pitched a tent for where the ark could go inside. And so David's priority was to make ready the new home for the ark of God, not to rush back to resume his kingly role. And so everything that David did, whether it was preparing for the ark of God's arrival, dancing in the streets, blessing the people, it was all because he wanted God to take center stage. And so for those of us who are, who are Christian, does God take up this much priority in our lives? You know, how is he taking center stage? In what ways is he not? And, and this is why corporate worship is so vital to the Christian life, because it's this weekly rhythm where every single element that we participate in, it reorients us to center God again. We began with the call to worship, where it it, it was not this element saying how great of an idea that we had to show up here this morning, but rather that it was God's idea to issue an invitation to call us here to worship him. We sing songs of praise throughout our service, songs of praise to God, and not about how great we are. We spend some time in confession and in repentance, pleading with God, saying how desperately we are in need of his rescue. And then before we leave here, God gives us a a word of blessing, reminding us through his benediction that We don't leave here alone, but that he goes with us. And so, friends, in what ways are you celebrating? Are you rejoicing in the presence of God in you? In what ways might we need to reorient ourselves to center God 
rightly and appropriately. When we look at David and we see the celebration, this joy that he has, uh, it was from being in the presence of God. It wasn't so much because he's the new king. But what we notice here in our passage is that there was one person who did not find the presence of God to be very meaningful. And that was David's wife, Michael. So we see that David, he experienced the joy of God's presence. But we'll see here secondly how Michael experienced the pain of absence. Uh, Starting in verse 16, it says, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And then verse 20 says, And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So everyone's attention in Jerusalem is on the ark of God, but for Michael, her attention was on David and only David. Michael was the the daughter of Saul, the king before David. And she loved David, and they eventually became married. But from what we know is that there was this serious tension between Michael's father Saul and David, so much so that Saul made attempt after attempt to kill David. And in one of these attempts, Michael actually helps David escape from the antics of her father. David goes on the run, and their marriage was never the same. And so when Michael sees David coming into the city of Jerusalem, she is already in this state of pain. She probably longs to be with her husband. And to make matters worse, it doesn't look like David is all excited to be with Michael. He's dancing in the streets. He's blessing the people. Doesn't even notice her. And so the text says, Michael despised him in her heart. And there was another level to her pain. Remember, Michael, she was the daughter of Saul. And so she probably knew the ins and outs of royalty culture. And so she sees David, the king of Israel, wearing an ephod when he should be wearing royal robes. He's leaping and dancing in the streets when he should be sitting on the throne. And she thinks that he's flirting with all of these women when he should be focused on ruling Israel. So we see here that Michael is utterly furious. She's disgusted, embarrassed, maybe. Because when she sees David, she doesn't see her husband or her king. She sees a complete fool. And all the while, she misses the fact that the presence of God is right in front of her. 
But friends, isn't it true that when we are deep in pain, that it can completely warp our view of reality? My wife and I endured through a, a painful season when we miscarried our first child. And that season was deeply painful, and it shaped everything about our world. You know, to the average person, watching commercials about diapers is pretty harmless. But for us at that time, there were these reminders of our loss. That year, we were invited to a number of baby showers. And in those moments, it, was, it took effort for me to say things like, I'm so happy for you. When we are in pain, it clouds everything around us. So for Michael, it's understandable that she couldn't see all of the celebration around her. She was deep in pain. And then David responds to her in verse 21 when he says, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Now, at this point, there's a part of me that wants to say, come on, David, read the room. And when we, when we consider what David says here, you know, there's nothing untrue that he says. Yes, it's true. He's the chosen new king of Israel. Yes, it, it looks very apparent that, that God is his ultimate priority, and he could care less if he looks like a complete fool to everybody else. But there's something about what he says that just seems so heartless. Especially when the text says that David intended to bless his household. And then our passage ends with verse 23. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. You know, this story of Michael is utterly tragic. You know, especially when we consider the historical context where childbearing was so tied to a woman's sense of identity and of worth. To be barren in this culture was utterly shameful. And perhaps even more so for someone like Michael, because she was no ordinary woman. She's the wife of the king who has no child. And so where, where is their hope and good news for someone like Michael? What about for those of us who identify with her, where it feels like the world and God himself are against us? How can the presence of God be meaningful when it feels like he just doesn't care? You 
in this passage, when we look at David, we see how he temporarily stopped being a king and became a priest for the people of Israel. And remember, the job of the priest was to connect people to God. And what better way for David to do this than by bringing the ark of God into the city of Jerusalem? But there was one person that David utterly failed to connect to God, and that was his own wife, Michael. David was a notable priest here, but he wasn't perfect. If anything, David failed to be a priest to the one person that he should have been a priest to. But thankfully, the story doesn't end here because this passage shows us that there is someone who is even greater and better than David. And that leads us to our final point, connecting to God's presence. The story doesn't end here because centuries later, God would send another priest to this world. He would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to connect us to God in a meaningful way. If we think back to the beginning of creation, the time when Adam and Eve were living in this life of paradise, they experienced perfect shalom, uh, the Hebrew word for, for peace, which is not simply the absence of conflict, but it's this, it's this word that communicates a robust vision of harmony, of flourishing, of where there is, everything is beautifully connected to one another. All of us to God, to one another, to ourselves, to creation. But sadly, that beautiful experience of shalom, where God was present and the world was teeming with life, that shalom was shattered when Adam and Eve sinned and the world hasn't been the same since. And this is why the work of priests during the time of the Old Testament was so crucial because they helped connect God to sinful people. The priests, they would offer, offer sacrifices time and time again to make payment for the sin of the people so that they could be connected to God. But we know throughout the Old Testament that there was no priest that was good enough. There was no sacrifice that was ever perfect enough to sustain that kind of connection with God. But when Jesus came into our world, he would eventually become that perfect sacrifice that everyone has longed for. When Jesus came, the day finally arrived when the need to sacrifice would stop. Jesus would lay down his own life to be that perfect sacrifice when he died on the cross, paying the full price for our sin. In many ways, Jesus, he experienced the pain of God's absence so that we could have the joy of his presence. And through his death, Jesus would reconcile all things to himself. He would start the process of restoring that beautiful shalom that was there from the beginning of time. 
And friends, what kind of God would do this? What kind of God would subject himself to go to the deep end of hell for us? This is why the gospel is such good news. Because Jesus, he would take up the fullness of our sin. Everything of the brokenness of this world. So that when we are faced with the evil in this world, when we are asking that question, God, where are you? Jesus responds and he says, I'm here and I'm not leaving. I know exactly what you are going through. And one day I'm going to put an end to all of this. And we know this is true because the day came when Jesus would not remain dead but he rose again from the dead. The the pain and the brokenness of our sin did not keep Jesus in the grave, but he rose again to break the power of sin and death. And then Jesus would eventually ascend to heaven. He would give us his Holy Spirit so that God's presence would be with us always. And the Bible gives us this wonderful promise that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. And the life, death, resurrection of Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. So Jesus is the true, the perfect priest that connected us back to God. And so when we consider this, and when we, when we experience this, it is right for us to celebrate. It's right for us to celebrate, to have joy, to sing. And so, friends, whenever you consider this, savor the presence of God in your life. Delight in Jesus. Celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit that's in you. But at the same time, let's not keep this to ourselves. In what ways might God be calling you to gift the presence of God to somebody else? How might we embody the presence of God to those around us? Something that we could do is to to look around and ask ourselves, where is the presence of God needed? Where is it lacking? And collectively as a church, how could we ask ourselves, how can we be a community that is on the lookout for the pain of God's absence so that we could enter into those spaces so that the joy of God's presence would come alive? And so, friends, the presence of God is here. He is with us. He's not going away. And so let us rightly celebrate delight in the priestly work of Jesus connecting us to God's presence. At the same time, let's also embody the presence of God and go into those places of pain and brokenness so that more of the world would experience the joy of God's presence. Uh, let's, let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for, for this wonderful and good news, this good news of hope during this Easter season that on the one hand, we celebrate the work of Jesus rising from the dead, that sin and death, they were not powerful enough to keep him in the grave, but he rose. He defeated everything that separated us from you, and we are joined to you again. And so, Father, thank you, God, that, that this displays your love for us, that we are not a people who are separate from you, but you have brought us back together to be with you. Uh, and so, God, may you stir in us a great delight, a great joy, even today, this morning, that we would celebrate the presence of God with us. And God, we know that you, you not only invite us to delight in this good news, you invite us to go out and to proclaim and to demonstrate this good news. So God, I do pray you would send us out, that we would be the presence of God to those who are longing, who are hungry, who are in need of your presence. God, may we do this faithfully. May we do this to honor and glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.